This is your invitation to the intersection of versatility and design. The kind of experience you can only find in a Lexus SUV. A feeling this empowering is invite only. Fortunately, you're invited. Experience the versatility of the complete line of Lexus SUVs and some of the best offers of the year on select models at the Invitation to Lexus sales event, now through April 1st. Experience amazing at your Lexus dealer. All righty. Welcome, everybody. Welcome to the Evangelical Dark Web. My name is Ray, and tonight we're going to be discussing The Chosen, and we're going to be discussing Got Questions and their defense of The Chosen. So that's going to be the topic for tonight's live stream. We are live on YouTube, Twitter, Twitch, if anyone's on that, and also Rumble. So I, I like Rumble as a live streaming platform more than I do as a regular video platform. That's for sure. Uh, and then YouTube, of course, uh, will be probably the main place where I'm going to be interacting with people because if you're on Twitter and Rumble, you know, you can't interact with those. Um, but we're going to be discussing The Chosen and moon, mostly got questions and their reasoning for defending The Chosen. I think that is something that's huge. It cannot be understated. And their logic for defending the chosen is also worth addressing as well. Now let's talk about Got Questions Ministries for a second here. Um, Got Questions is huge. As far as online ministries go, they might be the largest in terms of web traffic. And that's because of search engine optimization. They are masters of that because they have all sorts of questions on all sorts of topics. So they are masters at search engine optimization. And they, as a result of that and answering useful questions, they get the most web traffic, more than um, G3 Ministries, more than the Gospel Coalition, and even more than Desiring God, which I want to say is like the second most. It's not a Bible app, but I haven't looked at the list in a while. But God Questions is like top 10 in terms of the religious and religion and faith category on, on the internet, I think. Um, so, and that's according to similar web, but again, it's been a while since I've checked these numbers, but needless to say, this is a huge ministry and their endorsement of the chosen. I would call this an endorsement is noteworthy. Their defense of the chosen is noteworthy. So we're going to do this tonight. We're going to, look at two videos that they've posted on their YouTube channel. Uh, one where they talk about it amongst themselves and one where they interview Dallas Jenkins. And tonight we're going to be addressing the more nuances of the topic of creative license. So if you're in the chat, um, you know, definitely feel free to ask questions related to the chosen and possibly also got questions. If you have questions about got questions, um, I want to let you know you can support Evangelical Dark Web at evangelicaldarkweb.org slash join. That's our Patreon-like system. So a couple of things that we're going to hear about tonight is, and that is the arguments about creative license that Got Questions is really into. And I see this as not a good faith argument that they're bringing forth because they're really cherry picking examples. Now, maybe people who watch The Chosen aren't comparing the you know, seeing the more obvious things that are against scripture. So they're trying to like nuance uh, very, you know, actual instances of creative license. But 
What, what's interesting, and this is, you know, I, I've been watching The Chosen. I've been doing an episodic review of The Chosen, and I don't think it's biblically faithful. And I've said that in every video or almost every video on The Chosen. I don't think it's bi a biblically faithful adaptation of scripture, nor do I think it's actually good television. Like, I don't think it succeeds as a TV show without a cult following because it is not really a good TV show. So that's my judgment. That's my assessment of the chosen. I do not think it's good television. And oftentimes what they confuse with creative license is actually conventions of television. And that's what they're conf conflating. They're like, you know, you got to have a female lead. You got to have, you know, you got to create interpersonal drama with an ensemble cast. And these are conventions of television more than their creative license with the gospels, uh, uh, the four gospels and scriptures. So some, some quick notes. So we're going to look at this video by the chosen first. It's called, should I watch the chosen? Uh, and we're going to pop it up. Uh, interestingly enough, despite how I said that now they got 365,000 subs, that's, quite a lot for a Christian YouTube channel. So we're going to pick up right about here. Is what it isn't and how to think through some of the issues that um, a series like The Chosen raises in our mind. So artistic license is can be a difficult issue. Um, some people are watching The Chosen and almost claiming that the editors, the writers, the producers, whoever, are saying that these things definitely happened or kind of like adding to scripture. Well, that's definitely not their intent. So Sarah, why don't you start us off and I mean, what in your mind is the appropriate use of artistic license in a movie, a TV show that portrays biblical events? Sure. Um, I believe that God gave us our imagination. He made some people really creative and gave them artistic talent. Um, and that using our imagination when we're reading scripture can actually be helpful. Now we do have to differentiate between our imagination and something we're making up and using fiction versus scripture. Scripture is the word of God. It is absolute truth. Um, but adding our imagination can really help us feel what those characters might've been feeling to understand what those people may have been going through and to help us relate in a really personal, practical way to the scripture that we have. And we see Jesus using parables, which are made up stories to teach biblical truth in the Bible. So I really do feel that it's appropriate um, for Christians to use fictional made up stories to help us better understand biblical truth. All right, I got to pause right there because that's already a pretty bad answer. Like, oh, yes, we should use our imagination when reading the Bible. That way it can be more relatable to us and we can understand it better if we use our imagination. Uh, people who watch SpongeBob get that reference. Um, but anyway, that's that's very loosey-goosey. And it's funny that you know she says at the end, oh, well, Jesus taught in parables and those were made up stories. Well, not according to the chosen where they have the good Samaritan be a real person in the chosen. And it's meant to be a powerful moment in the first episode of the second season, which is where I'm at, by the way, it's like, so they, they treat the good Samaritan as a real story that Jesus knows about that happened rather than being a made up story from Jesus. So it's funny how she kind of says that, but all already we're getting into a, it's okay to use imagination to enhance your her hermeneutic. 
an understanding of the scripture. And it's like to there is an element in which we can fabricate. And I mean that in the way of what the word fabricate actually means. It doesn't mean to lie. It just means to fill in details. Um, we can fabricate certain, you know, how people would have reacted and stuff like that. But the chosen doesn't fabricate extra details. And as Dallas Jenkins will say, he does go on to say that 95% of the chosen is creative license. That's not fabricating and filling in details that might not be spelled out in scripture. That's completely rewriting new stories on top of scripture. So now we're dealing with whether those new stories are biblically faithful. Uh, do these contradict scripture? And that's one of the things that you don't really hear them address are contradictions to scripture rather than actual creative license. Artistic license is definitely controversial for some people. And I think it's also good to distinguish the difference between artistic license that's fair and reasonable versus artistic license that goes too far. If, if you demonstrate something that is completely contrary to other statements in the Bible or to Jesus' nature or his attitude or his morals, then you're definitely in a position where it's not artistic license anymore. Now you're changing things. But I do think that we, we can distinguish between fair artistic license and artistic license that isn't acceptable. I do think it's good for us to acknowledge that there's, there's a little danger in artistic license, and it's not because there's something wrong with it. It's just because it's something that we, we sometimes are a little bit lazy with. On this podcast, we've talked before about how popular culture representations sometimes turn into traditions and stereotypes and assumptions. Uh, the one I harp on all the time is the idea of Moses not knowing that he was Hebrew. That's not something that's in scripture, but people talk about that like it's just the way it was. And that's not necessarily a good thing, but that's not that there's anything necessarily wrong with using that as an element of a story. So for me, when I see things like The Chosen, I'm not offended by the idea of artistic license. I'm always just careful about the question of what am I seeing and how does that relate to the truths that are in the Bible? Is this compatible with what I'm reading in scripture? Is this fair to what I'm seeing? in the Bible. And if it is, then I agree with you. I think we've got an ability to go through and use our own creativity and our own minds in order to fill in some of those blanks to make the story uh, engaging for an audience. So that's a good pausing point because he talks about where creative license can go wrong. And I, to me, that's my main takeaway with the chosen. It's not, my objection isn't that they take creative license. It's that the creative license they do take sucks. So we got to understand that that's my actual objection with the chosen. Uh, so let's pull up a couple examples. So at the end of season one, you see Jesus and the disciples walk off into the sunset. And this is supposed to be in John four, which takes place at about midday. So this story skips from midday to sunset in a very short period of time not because it has anything to do with the story, but because the creative license is that Dallas Jenkins wants to see Jesus walking off to the sunset like he's Clint Eastwood in a spaghetti Western movie. Or we can look at the character of Matthew. I see Yellowmouth has added this, com uh, this comment in the chat. The Chosen isn't faithful. It's the first Bible commentary to ever address the verse that says Matthew has Asperger's disease. And that is a huge example of creative license gone wrong because you, you, on other podcasts, I don't believe the one that we're about to talk about, he doesn't expound upon the, the principle of 
biblical plausibility. Now he does mention that in the next podcast, but he doesn't expound upon it as much. And it's not biblically plausible the way that they depict Matthew. First of all, we don't know what causes autism. So you got to pump the brakes on that. Uh, second of all, Matthew wasn't the loner that's depicted in, in The Chosen. And that's clearly contradicted when you see that Matthew has other friends that are tax collectors. So they're trying to harp on Matthew being an outcast who has a dog. That's his only friend. And I believe the dog breed is a Belgian shepherd, which doesn't seem like it's indigenous to, you know, that area. Uh, so that's how they want to portray Matthew. But the Bible clearly says Matthew had friends who were tax collectors and they were invited to his house when he uh, was chosen and called by Jesus. This is a contradiction of the Bible that the chosen wantonly and chooses to do. So that those are just small examples, but they do add up. We can also talk about, you know, entire scenes like John three being screwed up by um, basically the idea that Jesus chooses and ask Nicodemus, an old dude to follow him. That doesn't happen in the Bible. And there's a reason for that, but it's, it's not biblically plausible that Nicodemus would have been asked and then rejected to, to have been called by Jesus. Um, the entire point of John 3 is that even Nicodemus knows that Jesus is Messiah. And that's a theme in the Gospel of John that each, you know, a lot of these chapters about this person knows that Jesus is the Messiah. This is more evidence that Jesus is the, is the Messiah. And that's the, um, that's kind of like the message of each little example in John, because if you read the end of the gospel of John, he says that it's not exhaustive. And the reason is because there, there's a message that John's trying to articulate. So, you know, good creative license versus bad creative license. And eventually the chosen's going to have to do doctrinal type of decisions, not just creative license, but doctrinal license and i believe and i haven't seen this scene yet but they go with the catholic version of jesus in his hometown rather than the protestant version yeah this idea of is it plausible could that have happened given what we do know to be truth and i think that does make um the story kind of easier to watch or go along with when we know that what is happening in the storyline really is plausible yeah exactly the if i were to say the two specific scenes in episodes of The Chosen that we've received questions about. Um, I think both were in season two, but ultimately that doesn't matter. First one was there's an episode where Mary Magdalene has a traumatic experience with a passing Roman guard and it causes her to temporarily go back to her old way of life. Mm. Um, not the demon possession part, but um, whatever, that doesn't really matter. Um, and that's obviously not in the Bible. I mean, could it have happened? Yes, it could. The Bible nowhere says that Mary Magdalene was absolutely faithful to everything following Christ for entire life after she started following him. So uh, I think it portrays a, some powerful things that, you know, is following Christ is not always easy. There are going to be temptations to fall away, to go back to our old way of life. And But for me, when Mary Magdalene returns, the disciples actually go and, and bring her back. She feels extremely guilty about it. And she's kind of like, Jesus, why would you take me back? And Jesus says something to the effect of, it wouldn't be much of a redemption if you could lose it in a day. And so again, complete scenes, not explicitly biblical, but conveying a very important truth that um, 
I firmly believe we cannot lose our redemption, not in a day, not, not ever. And that Jesus understands um, the difficulties we face. And um, there's no unforgivable sin in the sense of um, having a difficulty, having doubts, having struggles that Jesus understands. Obviously, we still need to seek his forgiveness, confess those sins to him. But it's not as if sinning causes us to lose our relationship with Christ. So I think the scene portrays it powerfully. But almost that entire set, that entire episode is artistic license, but I think it portrays a powerful biblical point. It just doesn't use explicit scenes that are in the Bible. I think that's okay. There's, I see the same thing. Yeah, that, that is past what I've seen in the chosen. Um, but again, how they portray Mary Magdalene is one of the things that's very concerning about the chosen because they rely on the television convention of, we need to have a female lead. And so we're elevating Mary Magdalene, which is ironically what a lot of the Gnostics did. If you read the uh, Gnostic Gospels and um, if you ever read those for apologetics reasons, of course, um, they heavily emphasize Mary Magdalene, interestingly enough. Uh, but so one of the myths out there, it's not really provable, is that Mary Magdalene was a prostitute. Like that's not founded in scripture. And it's largely speculation. I'm not sure what the origins of that are, but the chosen seems to be playing more into that. Uh, it's also, and again, Mary Magdalene's also a contradiction of scripture because the disciples are all chosen before Mary Magdalene appears. And instead, Mary Magdalene's kind of like the first disciple that's chosen by Jesus ahead of the other 12. And I believe Judas Iscariot's only brought in on season three. Now, I could be wrong about that because I haven't gotten that far, but he's not in season one. And I'm pretty sure it's a big deal when he's brought in. And I believe that happens in season three. Um, so these are just some areas where they contradict scripture. And is that still creative license to contradict scripture? Do you have a creative license to write scripts that go against the narrative of scripture that go against the chronology of scripture and just you know wantonly ignore details that are in the text you it's one thing to take creative license to fill in other details but not to over or supersede the details that are in scripture and that's what the chosen does in songs that we sing there's a lot of songs that we use in churches that help to sort of explore further ideas that are in the Bible and put them in more words or put them in different words. I, I've liked some of the things I've seen in The Chosen in that sense, that they're taking ideas that are not stated in explicit verbal syllables in the Bible, mm -hmm. but they are part of the teaching of the Bible that are being explained in there. Mm -hmm. One that I know that some people struggle with, but I think is very reasonable, is one that talks about the idea of Jesus growing, Jesus learning as a person. And that's something that the Bible does say. It said that he grew in wisdom and stature. And there's even a scene, I remember it struck me as being interesting because I thought to myself, that's going to get people's attention where Jesus is talking to John the Baptist and he makes a comment and then says, maybe not the best example when he's talking about it. I remember thinking, oh, that's, that's going to bother somebody. But to me, that, that doesn't strike me as being a problem because Jesus being sinless, for example, didn't mean that he was a perfect student at math or that he was born knowing how to carve a chair correctly and that his father never needed to teach him those things. So the idea that we're explicitly separating human error from sin 
is an important thing. And I think in that sense, that artistic license and things like The Chosen actually sort of gives us an opportunity to explore those issues when we talk to people. I found The Chosen. All right. So this is actually a very important detail that they're bringing up here. And that is something called the noetic effects of the fall. And they, in The Chosen, and this is according to theirs, and I assume that they've watched more than I have, ha portrays Jesus as being affected by the noetic effects of the fall. Now, the noetic effects are kind of, as they said, human error, but not sin. The idea that people forget things. The idea that uh, people screw up a math problem and stuff like that. These are noetic effects. These aren't sins because they're not an affront to God uh, and his moral law, but they are imperfections that are the result of the fall because they aren't conceivable in a prelapsarian human race because they're not how we were created. So with that said, I do think it is a Christological error to portray Jesus as experiencing the noetic effects of the fall. So that is something that is a serious decision and a serious creative license that the chosen has made with regards to their Christology. And how should we react to that? Isn't that enough to say maybe this isn't the right show to be watching or endorsing because it portrays Jesus as having the noetic effects of the fall, which is contrary to divine nature. Then to be very good at bringing up conversations about, hmm, could that have really happened? Or what does the Bible actually say? And is this plausible? Is this biblical? And I found it actually has pointed a lot of people back to scripture and gotten a lot of conversations started and helped people to think deeper about the gospel. I mean, the other scene that we've received a lot of questions about is the scene where Jesus is practicing the Sermon on the Mount, that he has, he has Matthew with him. Matthew's taking notes, writing down the different words he says. And some people said, well, Jesus wouldn't need to practice the sermon. It's like, well, Jesus as God would need to practice, but Jesus as God also would need to eat or sleep or drink or nap. But yet the Bible describes him doing all of those things. So we have to remember Jesus is fully God and fully human. So could Jesus have downloaded the perfect sermon straight from heaven into his brain and not practice it? Well, of course he could, but in him living as a human being, there's no reason to think he wouldn't need to practice a sermon or um, have someone give him feedback on, ah, maybe you could say it this way instead of this way. But that scene is probably of all the scenes so far, my favorite scene in The Whole Chosen is when Jesus is practicing the sermon um, and he, he turns to Matthew. And just previous to this, the other disciples were giving Matthew a really hard time him being a tax collector and you shouldn't even be here. I don't know why Jesus chose you and all that. So Matthew's going into this kind of depressed or hurt. And when Jesus is saying, blessed are you when people persecute you and say all sorts of false things about you, he actually is looking directly at Matthew saying those words to Matthew. And to me, that was that was powerful. That was completely artistic license in terms of we don't know if jesus practiced it if matthew was there if he was taking notes or anything but just to make that scene so personal to me was like wow i, I loved that particular scene even though it was entirely artistic license i'm definitely comfortable with with those aspects i do like the idea of exploring different concepts the whole idea of matthew and his anxiety his personality and those all right so we're almost done with this section but as you can see, they want to focus on the idea that Jesus was doing sermon prep. And I guess this is a lot more controversial than I think it is. Like, I don't 
I think this is actually one of the more benign instances of uh, creative license in The Chosen. And it's interesting that uh, Yellowmouth sends in the question, um, how do you think they will handle Jesus when he says, uh, sell your tunic and to buy a sword? And I'm not sure they're going to depict that at all because they've already, you know, Dallas Jenkins has already said, we're not going to do the transfiguration. Well, why not? That's a pretty major event, especially for those who are chosen to have witnessed. So that's a pretty major event. And that they're saying that they're not going to do that. And it's because it's a more, it's an instance of Jesus most overtly declaring his divinity pre-resurrection. Uh, I would say. So they, they might say we don't have to do that because, you know, that would be MAGA. You know, it's a seeker sensitive show and I don't think they openly want to admit that. So uh, this is the last leg of this clip. Those sorts of things. Now, again, just because of the way I'm wired, I look at that and wonder if 35 or 40 years from now, I'm going to hear somebody expositing on scripture and saying, well, because we know that Matthew was autistic or because of his Asperger's or whatever, just like we get with other things, somebody somewhere is going to pick up and run with that. And that's where we do need to be careful. But I like the idea of presenting this, that, that God isn't kidding around when he says he uses all people in all circumstances for his glory. It's, it's not reasonable to assume that every single one of the 12 apostles was a very intelligent, very articulate, very normal in quotes, kind of a person. It makes more sense that people would look at this group that Jesus put together and say, what fishermen and, and tax collectors and people like this. So to extend that to saying, here are people who have perspectives and personalities. They're not exactly what the world looks like. Again, discernment's important. And I guess one thing we, we should probably keep emphasizing is that the, the purpose of, of talking about something like the chosen is not to try to tell people you should absolutely watch this without any reservation, without any thought, without any concern, just just let it wash over you. you know, the, but the opposite is also not true. You don't want to watch or refuse to watch it because you just insist on saying there is no possible room. Discernment's important. We need to remember. When I look at a painting of somebody's representation of Jesus, I got to remember. That's not a photograph. I, I'm, I'm looking at somebody's interpretation. If I'm going to watch The Chosen, I have to remember that's somebody's interpretation. So in that sense, it's not really different from a lot of other medium. I guess maybe to conclude our talk about artistic. So... We're going to stop there because they're about to shift gears to the Mormon question. But I do want to say, do like this video and subscribe to the channel if you are new. Uh, and smash the like button will help with the magical YouTube algorithms with this live stream. So with that said, I've kind of covered the whole uh, Matthew being a math autist thing, which is how the chosen portrays him. And not only is it a stretch to have portrayed him with Asperger's in the first place, but they don't even do it consistently. Like he, I'm not trying to say, you know, he's good with certain things and then bad with social interactions, but he's really good at noticing other people's social interactions and, and stuff like that. It's very inconsistent. So um, this is a good comment here by checked off. Uh, not to be confused with Chekhov. Um, why do they have a panel if everyone agrees? And that's a good question. Uh, she wrote the article, I think, on on the site. He's the main host, and I don't know who that guy is. So I don't know why everyone's there. But there's clearly not, um, clearly not a an actual discussion going on. 
and then uh the chosen is scary to me wash wash over you huh it's new age jesus in the flesh on celluloid and i I do think it's a little bit more new agey i think the best way to describe it is it's seeker sensitive and it's very much the same type of jesus that is being portrayed in the he gets us campaign why do i know this because they work together they're part of the same network behind the glue uh glue connect which is a christian type of corporation that's working behind the scenes of a lot of things um so it's kind of like a a network of christian businesses and the chosen's one of them the he gets his campaigns another uh so there's a lot of these things uh, a lot of companies that are involved with that barna research group is with them so and then Ed Stetzer and Outreach Magazine. So they're all kind of like a part of the same cobble of uh, nefarious big Eva activity. So that's the first um, thing. And I'm saying we're, we're cutting it off here because the next section that they're going to talk about is the Mormon question. So we have covered the Mormon issue with regards to the chosen already on this channel. So we're not going to exhaustively retread that ground i've already done that kind of kind of content ironically when this video was made it, it was made early 2023 i believe the mormon question has since become less relevant than it was when this video came out because the chosen is being is disentangling itself from angel studios which has resulted in some lawsuits funnily you know hilariously enough uh, it has resulted in lawsuits. So there's a couple lawsuits circulating around the chosen and angel studios. And I believe the president of the chosen because they poached him and stuff. So there's a lot of drama behind the scenes, but the chosen created their own app and that's what they're pushing. Now they created their own nonprofit ministry. And that's what they're pushing now to get away from angel studios and the Mormon brand. And it also makes the company more profitable. So the chosen's decided to cut out the middleman on their funding and distribution by doing it themselves because they have the money to do it and they have the, the following to do it. And so they are. So we're going to move on to the next video, which is an interview between the guy in the middle, whose name I don't know. And, uh, Dallas Jenkins. And I, I made a mistake. These were late 2022, not early 2023. Uh, so my bad on that. And the chosen, why is the series structured and even designed the way that it is? Well, several years ago, um, almost a decade, I, I was, uh, working at a big church in Chicago and for our good Friday services, I would every year do either a short film or a vignette about, uh, usually centered around the crucifixion um, because we were celebrating Good Friday. I'm not celebrating it, but, but uh, uh, honoring it. And uh, it was... Um... I didn't mention this, but I probably should. Both these videos that I've played are at 1.25 speed. So if they sound sped up, it's because they are. The, the concept of telling stories of Jesus rooted in the gospels, but coming at it from a different perspective, 
but not changing the story, mm -hmm. not trying to say something new. I mean, I'm a conservative evangelical. The church I was part of was uh, was the same, and so uh, we we have tremendous respect for the for for God's word. Um, but when you can tell these stories from a different perspective and explore a little bit more some of the cultural context and historical mm -hmm. context that isn't implicitly in the Gospels, uh, it, it really opens things up. I mean, we would see it over and over again, people having these aha moments that weren't replacing Scripture, but were, in fact, enhancing their experience with it, like a supplement to Scripture in some way, similar to what a sermon can do or what a Bible study can do. And so we just saw that happening over and over. And, and every time I did it, I was so, like, I've been a believer, you know, as, as long as I can remember. And um, I've heard the stories hundreds of times. I've memorized Bible verses. I was an Awana kid. I mean, I've, I've been steeped in it. And yet, even myself in my 40s, I would get so kind of, I don't know, re-excited, re-energized, um, going, oh my goodness, I guess I didn't realize that when Jesus said this, that in the context of that time, that would have had even more resonance for those people. You know, those kinds of things are really fascinating. So long story short, I did a short film about the birth of Christ from the perspective of the shepherds back in 2017. Mm -hmm. And when I was making it, that's when I was like, you know, every time I do these short films, even even 18 minutes long, which is what the shepherd was, I feel like I'm, I'm exploring more about this story than I've ever seen. What if I could do that for, for a long time. Like there's never been a multi-season show about Christ. There's been movies, there's been miniseries. They always go from Bible verse to Bible verse, miracle to miracle. There's very little context, very little emotional connection, um, like what you'd normally get when you watch a movie or TV show. And so I thought, you know, man, the thing about multi-season shows that are really great is you can really follow these characters season to season, episode to episode, and and really take the time to develop some of these stories that in the Gospels, they don't take as much time because the Gospels, the, kind of the point of the Gospels is Jesus' greatest hits to prove that he's the Messiah. Mm -hmm. uh, and whereas a TV show has a little bit of a different um, different goal and purpose. And so um, that's that's when that's when the idea started to come. And now at the time I was coming off of a huge career failure. There was no one lining up around the block to do a project with me. Um, but uh, once I got that short film out to the world and, uh, and, and, and offered people the opportunity to crowdfund, invest into the show, it just it just took off something i think resonated about that short film in people's hearts and minds and it's carried through to the show so this is a bit of a theory of mine and it's not just about the chosen it's about uh the story of jesus in general i don't think it's made for television and the reason why is you know the chosen is a below average tv show like you know you got like you know, Breaking Bad, Better Call Saul, The Sopranos, The Wire up here. Uh, you got like, think of an average show like Friday Night Lights or something like that. Maybe it's, you know, super average. And then The Chosen's below that. It it's, might not be, you know, the worst show ever, but it's, it's not good television. It's, uh, or The Walking Dead might be in the average category uh maybe below average after a while but so you think about that right the chosen is below average and why is it below average and it's because the story of jesus isn't meant for television because if you look at the gospels it's all building up towards something and that something is the resurrection so if you're going to span the story of jesus out in the seventh season which is the plan for the chosen i imagine they're doing season six is when they're going to do all that so uh, the resurrection and the passion week, or maybe the resurrection happens start of season seven, but either way you have to create episodic content in which each episode has its own unique little story arc and develops the story in a different way. How many times can you build up towards the resurrection, um, you know, across the different seasons uh, before you're just really stretching how, stretching the details or you're or 
and this is what the chosen is more so doing is they're creating drama they're manufacturing drama that isn't interesting enough to hold attention and that's the problem with the chosen because you think about the story of jesus ensemble cast you got jesus at the lead then you got 12 other dudes and then you know maybe some other people on top of that so huge ensemble cast not including guest appearances it's not meant for television because you have to allot screen time to all the different characters uh and then you have to create interpersonal drama between all these different characters matthew has to have beef with peter and peter and john got to start their rivalry and you know bartholomew and nathaniel you know get into a fight or something like that no one really wants to watch that that's not interesting that's not interesting television at all to watch two dudes have a cry fit like it's this is the cw channel it's not interesting television um so that's my theory with regards to jesus in general i do not think the christ is made for television because of the conventions of television episodic uh, storytelling do not lend themselves to the gospels whereas i think a movie could um and this is not the way on the second commandment uh question which is brought up in the comments but we've already addressed that on this channel um like i'm not totally opposed to the possibility if you're just you know if you're depicting scripture as is obviously a little creative license would have to be done in that but if the dialogue is scripture uh that that's perfectly fine uh but with that said yeah i don't think jesus is made for television that's my thesis on the chosen in general uh yeah do you think they will add a mary peter andrew love triangle exactly the type of drama that you have to manufacture for television like mary going back and becoming a prostitute and then being welcomed back by jesus so that's the type of storytelling that you're going to have to expect and it'll get old after a while really quick Mm -hmm. so one of the things we talked a lot about in our episode a couple times was artistic license that anytime you're portraying anything in the bible um, you have to use artistic license even if you're just talking about the background or what the people look like the clothes they wear because the bible does not specifically say doesn't give us these types of details but i think one of the criticisms that i've heard a lot about the chosen is that use a lot of artistic license there's scenes that are portrayed that are not in the bible like at all so what is your perspective on the appropriateness of artistic license how much you can use in portraying biblical accounts yeah well it's a really nuanced answer and it's also a really nuanced question because i think you have to start with this premise i'm making a show about the people of first century galilee Mm -hmm. i wouldn't necessarily call the chosen a bible show now that may sound scary to some people but i think to some critics they might actually say yeah that you that's true that's more accurate don't call it a bible show because this isn't the bible and i would say you're right it's not the bible uh, the bible is the bible the bible will never change uh, the bible is god's inerrant word and i'm not trying to change it your bible has not changed since the chosen came out the chosen is a tv show a historical drama based on the people of first century galilee that uses the bible as its primary source of truth and inspiration I mean, I'll go. You, I'll take you one step further from your question. I would say not only is there a lot of artistic license, I would say the vast majority of the show is artistic license. Mm-hmm. I would say as, far, as high as ninety-five percent. 
I mean, if you think about it, I mean, Jesus never even said hello in scripture. I mean, there's so, so every time that it, our, we have scenes from, even from taken from the Bible, uh, there's stuff at the beginning of them, sometimes stuff in the middle, sometimes stuff at the end that isn't directly from scripture. So I think that uh, both fans and critics of the show need to recognize this is not a Bible show. Um, because I think once you, once you start to see it as that, then anything that we add is, is now feels like a, a violation. So I'm comfortable because from moment one of the show, when you first turn on episode one, the first thing that comes up and it says, this is based on the Bible, you know, it uses it as its truth and inspiration. However, we changed some things like dates and, you know, locations and stuff like that. We've added some artistic license and viewers are encouraged to read the gospels. Like right up before you watch a frame of it, I tell you, read the gospels. My wife, you know, gained a little bit of uh, popularity for a comment she made at a public, a public So this is a disclaimer that's on The Chosen. It says The Chosen is based on true stories of the Gospels of Jesus Christ. Some locations and timelines have been combined or condensed. Backstories and some characters or dialogue have been added. However, all biblical and historical context and any artistic imagination are designed to support the truth and intentions and intention of the scriptures. Viewers are encouraged to read the Gospels. The original names, locations, and phrases have been transliterated into English for anything spoken. So that is the disclaimer on The Chosen. I did screen scrap, grab that when I first watched The Chosen. Uh, I've been holding it ever since now. Uh, but it's interesting because I actually agree that The Chosen isn't a Bible show, but that's why it shouldn't be made. If you're not actually going to be a Bible show if you're not actually going to depict that which is depicted in Scripture, what what's the point of it? And it really only goes downhill from there. Uh, you know, because the first season's not good. It, it's kind of bad. Uh, the second season, I want to say on average is better, but I'm only like a like I'm on like the second episode here, so. Uh, it was a low bar in season one, but so when he says, you know, we're taking artistic license because this isn't a Bible show, you better believe him. You better believe that it's not a Bible show. And that's why it's not going to be faithful in its adaptation of scripture because it's not a Bible show. He's telling you it's not a Bible show. So, uh, moving on event where she told told a story of um i'm not gonna get into the whole story but where people uh, were, were smuggling bibles into iran and uh, they offered to also preach and uh the person who was receiving the bible said no bible preach um and he was saying the the, the bible is enough for us uh it, when we don't need your preaching and i would agree I, I would agree with that um and that's that's where we stand when it comes to the show so from the beginning i've said this is a show based on the people of first century galilee i don't ever want to violate the character or intentions of jesus in the gospels i think anything that we portray needs to filter through the category of plausibility is this plausible mm -hmm. um and so got a pause right there before he goes on his rant about plausibility which we've kind of covered uh so when he says the bible is enough bible preach then why does the come and see foundation Produce sermon material based on the chosen, based on episodes of the chosen. Why is the chosen being turned into sermon material? If this is not a Bible show, if this is just creative license, if this 
is not supposed to be as a replacement towards scripture. Why are you producing sermon material that's based on the Bible? We've covered this in our last video on the chosen we did on this particular topic. Once we've kind of filtered everything through that lens, then I'm comfortable doing that. Now, there are some people, I know this is a long answer to your question. There's some people who don't believe that anything should be portrayed that isn't directly in the Bible. And those people have the right to that opinion and we're never going to agree and they're never going to watch the show. That's perfectly fine. I would tell you that right off the, off the, the gate. I mean, when you first, the first very first episode, I think, I don't think there's anything from scripture other than the fact that you see Matthew as a tax collector, Simon as a fisherman, and at the, and, and at the end, uh, we see Mary Magdalene being healed of demons, which is in the scriptures. But everything else, this is a, this is a historical drama. Um, mm -hmm. you know, popular YouTuber Mike Winger, I think, called it uh, fan fiction. And I think that's a fair, I think that's a fair uh, analysis. So I think as long as we know what we are, and as long as the audience knows what we are, uh, I think that I think that we're okay. But there is going to be a contingent that's just not comfortable with our, any artistic license. Um, in which case, I would say, all right, great, there's plenty of, of videos out there now that take a literal reenactment verse by verse account of the Gospels. Yeah. And that's great. There, there are a few of those, some of them I'm sure. So we've already talked about the second commandment issue on this channel, uh, specifically regards to addressing Vody Bauckham's arguments versus Dallas Jenkins' arguments. So we've kind of already addressed that. I'm, again, I'm not opposed to the idea of a dramatic reenactment of scripture. Uh, again, this is where the Chosen's creative license isn't good. It's not well used. As you're as I'm sure you know, are better than others. Um, okay. And yeah, even in the ones where the Jesus, the actor portraying Jesus in those doesn't say anything, that's not a direct quote of scripture. Right. Even in those, there's, if you really look at it, there's a lot of artistic license in terms of what is going on and how things sure. look and how he said it, even his tone of voice. We can't yeah. know any of those things. So um, it's interesting to see how, I don't think people truly think through when they criticize artistic license, how impossible it would be able to do any video-based reenactment of anything in the Bible without high percentage of being artistic license. Sure. Although I would say, to be fair to them, I, I would say that there is a difference between, I mean, I, you're, you're absolutely right and you're making a great point, but I think there is a difference between, I think, clothing and, and uh, cinematography. And then I think what people get really concerned about is the words of Jesus. Anytime yes. you're putting words into the mouth of the Son of God uh, that, that you don't know that he said, um, again, I would argue, I'm not putting words into the Son of God's mouth because Jonathan isn't the Son of God. And this is the show is not the Bible. Oh, this is this is an artistic rendering of, of, uh, of the stories. And we know that. But yeah, I think uh, you're absolutely right. Now, there are some people who go even further and who say, I mean, I, there's a, there are a couple of popular uh, bloggers and thought leaders who've said an image of Jesus, any image of Jesus is inherently wrong. I mean, a painting, anything um, that, that G God gave us words. He didn't give us give us pictures. Um, you know, we, we, we don't get a clear description of what Jesus looked like. Now, of course, I heard one person say, you know, anytime if, if you, you know, God didn't want us to see Jesus, he wanted us to hear his words. And I'm like, well, all the people who met him must have had a bit, really a difficult time because they saw his face. Um, but yeah, I think there are there is a contingent just doesn't think any rendering of jesus at all is 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 good because of uh, the second commandment mm -hmm. and uh and that's all another conversation but but uh, i think there's a, there's definitely a spectrum of artistic license and a spectrum of comfortability with that yeah no that's interesting because truly that was the next question i was going to ask you because i have a good friend who for her she can't watch any any film whatsoever where jesus is portrayed because then in her mind that's how she always pictures jesus and for me that's not an issue at all i mean i've I've watched enough different Bible films and I've watched both seasons of The Chosen and I've never in my mind pictured Jesus looking like the actors who have portrayed him, although that's hard to do and very consistently portrayed looking a certain way. But I don't think if I were to meet the actor who plays Jesus in The Chosen, I would not be like, oh, it's Jesus. Like, no, it's you. yes, but I understand those who have that problem. And so ultimately, what would you say is the how, how do you respond to those who say you shouldn't portray 
Jesus at all in because it's a violation of the second command. Okay, so um yes, there are people out there that see Jonathan Rumi and that's their image of Jesus. That exists. I'm sure for a while it was Jim Caviezel uh for a time, but now it's Jonathan Rumi. Uh where but J Jim Caviezel was at least just doing lines from the Bible, if I recall, in Passion of the Christ. But Jonathan Rumi, a lot more animation in his delivery and the silliness that you saw in the movie Jesus Revolution is exactly how he portrays Jesus a lot of the time in The Chosen. Yeah, so I think there's two questions. One is the, the, the second commandment idea, which is uh, specifically about worshiping idols, worshiping graven images, worshiping mm -hmm. other anything that represents uh, a god or or god even god himself uh, shouldn't be worshipped. Uh, I don't know a single person. We have we've heard from literally millions of people about the show, mm -hmm. including people who are obsessed with it and who believe that it has taken them closer to God. Not a single person has ever said they're worshiping Jonathan Rumi or worshiping the Chosen or worshiping a scene from the Chosen. Yeah. Uh, that would be wrong. Obviously, obviously, um, but the, the commandment is about worshiping an idol, not about looking at a, a piece of art. I just think that they're two completely different subjects, and mm -hmm. I, I think that the danger of worshiping a piece of art is inherently real. And anyone who who does that or who thinks that that might be a struggle for them should for sure be cautious. I just don't know anyone who literally thinks when I'm worshiping in, on Sunday morning, you know, singing, I, I'm worshiping the chosen or I'm worshiping the, the painting that I that I that I have in my home of Jesus. I've just never. I've just never met anyone like that. Now, I remember what's funny is that I visited Israel and uh, there, there's the... Um... So if he wants to say that he's not morally culpable for people worshiping the chosen, to some degree, I actually agree with that logic. The person who makes a stained glass painting or stained glass window isn't responsible for someone misusing it as an object of worship. I would agree with that, you know, provided that that was the intent of the artwork was to not be worshipped. And I, I do believe Dallas Jenkins when he says that it, it wasn't his intent for it to be worshipped, but I also think that he's kind of a weasel and a snake in terms of what he sneaks into the chosen and how he wants to deviate from scripture. Um, and that's, you know, his script supersedes scripture is kind of how he views his artistic process. He doesn't view scripture as a confine. I'm blanking on the name of it. The big cathedral where, where Jesus is, uh, Golgotha is. It's, it's, a, it's owned by this church that has like four different denominations represented. The Church of the Holy Sepulchre? Yes. yes. I, was very, I was very uncomfortable in that place. Um, and because there were some people who, were, who, who felt to me like they were worshiping a, a, an, an, you know, an object. Mm -hmm. um, now, they may not have been actually worshiping. They just must might have been overwhelmingly emotional because of what it represented. I don't know, but it sure, sure, sure looked like worship. Um, and I just wasn't comfortable there. It felt very idolatrous. Um, but I'm just not seeing that with the Chosen. I, I mean, even when people comment about how much they love the portrayal of Jesus, and even people who even think, who I've heard of a few people say, uh, I, I do picture some of the characters in my head. I don't know that that's inherently bad. I don't think that that means that they're now worshiping the actor. Um, I've just never heard anything close to that. So there's that. Um, so yeah, my, my point is, the, the two-part point of it is the, the second commandment idea, um, for sure we agree on, but I just don't think that that's what The Chosen is doing. And I think some people who say the actual episodes themselves are inherently a violation of exit, of, of uh, you know, the second commandment, I think, that's a, I think that's a stretch. I think that's starting to put to project onto people something that you don't know is in their heads. And, and I think it's good to give a warning, but I don't think it's good to just assume that by definition, the show is doing that in and of itself. Yeah. And I've been to the Church of the Holy Sepulchre as well. And I had the guy had the same 
I don't know. I described it as like a weird spiritual yeah. vibe almost. It's like, uh, I totally did. I, just, I much, yeah. much prefer the garden tomb location in 100%, terms of. That's so funny you say that. Yeah. I was with a group of, there were about four of us and I, I was at the front of the line and, uh, and I didn't, so I didn't know how they were reacting and I got kind of through a line and I got to a point and I finally turned around. And I said, can I just say this? I'm, I feel dark. I, I don't feel good here. And they yeah. all were like, I was going to say the same thing. Let's go. We just left. Now yeah. I don't want to, you know, besmirch anyone who loves it or who, yeah. you know, there might be good people involved, but we just, we all had the same kind of spiritual, not great feeling. And then we went to the garden tomb and had the exact opposite. It felt, yeah. it felt like home. You know? yeah. uh, let me know in the chat or comment section, if you've been to this place and what your experience was, the Holy Sepulcher, which I assume is in Jerusalem. It's a, um, Here's a question I just re received just recently in response to the podcast, and it was, it was actually able to engage in a productive and edifying email conversation, which we actually didn't agree. So that was it was wonderful. But her concern was that the chosen has done such an amazing job of portraying the humanity of Jesus, whether it's him being extremely tired, exhausted from a day of healing people or him practicing the Sermon on the Mount or other scenes that really portrays the humanity of Jesus. Her concern was his humanity is being portrayed so strongly to the point that you're not getting the fact that he's also deity, that he is the God man, that he is fully God, fully man. Um, how do you respond to that? And part of my response was, I, I have no idea what you, your plans are for the rest of seasons of the chosen, but so far you're at a very early point of Jesus ministry. The more explicit claims of deity don't really come till right. later. So right. that was, I mean, again, I'm, I have no idea what direction you're going, but it's like, maybe think of it from where they actually are in terms of, following the gospels yeah so this is a really good question and, and it, i'm gonna it might take a little bit of time but i think it's really important so again there is a spectrum this is we, we start getting into the whole hypostatic union of things this is something that is as bedeviled no pun intended uh scholars for for centuries i mean mm -hmm. what what exactly did that look like and there's there's a group of people who love the show um and who are who love jesus and love god's word just as much as as your friend does who actually think we go a little too far in the god deity part because they come from the philippians perspective of he gave up his uh you know he did not count equality with god as something to be grasped and so they were they've they've said every time the chosen has jesus put on his god goggles as they call it where he knows people's thoughts where he's you know walking around like like bruce almighty where he he just he knows everything he's got every attribute of god where they're like yeah those are my least favorite parts um there, there is a spectrum of, of belief about from very well-intentioned well-meaning god-loving bible-loving people about so christological heretics are god-loving people I feel like this should have been like newsworthy at the time when this came out, but I guess no one talked about it or no one looked at it, but that's, that's pretty whack by uh, Dallas Jenkins to say that. What exactly this would have And if you saw on the screen, if you're listening, they showed their picture, they showed an image of their article from got questions. You know, what is kenosis? The idea that, you know, you know, it move you know jesus moves from being god to human back to god again i think is a good way to put it because you know movement is in the name look like now to, specifically to her question um here here's here's the key do we say in the in the show that jesus is the son of god yes outright multiple times uh does jesus actually assert his godhood his like that he is god yes i mean episode one of season two he says i am that i am I mean, he, he outright says it. And he, in that same scene, he refers to uh, the book of Genesis as, a, as, as, as his favorite memory. I mean, he, he asserts, he's like, basically, I was there at creation. Um, I mean, do, do we show him do performing miracles all the time? Do we show him as sinless? Yes. 
Do we show all of his most important, spiritually impactful, enriching, God-delivered, Father-delivered um, truth bombs and pieces of scripture? Yes. I mean, we show the, the, the Beatitudes, the Sermon on the Mount. We show him, we show him talking to Nicodemus in, in, in John chapter 3 and saying who he is and why he came and how he is the way to salvation. In, episode, in season 3, uh, which uh, episode 3 hasn't been released yet, but he gives his even most explicit um, assertion as Savior because he's talking to his hometown um, friends and family and and uh is outright saying you need me for salvation and they're saying wait we're the chosen seed of abraham we don't need we don't have any spiritual debt we we you know and he's like no i'm i'm the guy man what if i heard that argument before i guess some arguments don't disappear over two thousand years you know um so i i understand the question that she's saying or the concern she's expressing for sure we spend more time on his humanity because i believe that more hours of the day are spent in your humanity than in your deity if it, it on a practical level so hear, hear me out i believe jesus was both god and man 100 of the time 24 hours a day seven days a week but on a practical level when he's eating when he's laughing with his friends when he's dancing at a wedding when he's dressing a wound uh how god is he in that moment practically what does that look like um and i would say that uh it's very clear in the show that jesus is god that jesus is the son of god it's also very clear in the show that he was a human being who felt everything we felt he just didn't sin I think both of those things are true. I don't know how we make sense of them all totally. I don't. It's a mystery that I don't have fully unlocked. But I do believe that it would be. It's where I would strongly disagree is that it detracts from his deity in the show. What I have seen over and over from people, and what I've experienced myself, but I'm not going to use myself as an example. Over and over from people is is that it actually makes his deity even more overwhelming. That the creator of the universe, the Son of God, the Godhead, the God Man dressed his own wounds and and cooked some food and had a mom and danced with his friends at weddings god with us emmanuel he was truly with us i think that's i think that's extraordinary i think that's beautiful uh so uh yellowmouth asked why would jesus dress a wound well one of the miracles in which he made the blind see he did use a salve um in the in the dude's eye so God or Jesus does think does the same miracle different ways to show that he is God uh, would be my short answer for that. But interestingly enough, this is a show that's done the Sermon on the Mount. And I'm curious because they didn't mention the Sermon on the Mount as an example of Jesus proclaiming his divinity. But if you read the Sermon on, on the Mount, and I've recently been going to church with the Sermon on these on, on the Sermon on the Mount. Jesus explicitly makes divine claims at the Sermon on the Mount. Uh, you know, Matthew 7. You know, the climax of the Sermon on the Mount is, you know, depart from me, I never knew you. Who's the me that he's speaking, you know, about? It's him. It's Christ. And the audience is hearing Jesus say that he is God on the Sermon on the Mount, and they are amazed by the authority in which he's speaking and teaching. And doesn't mean that they necessarily believe after that, but they know that he claimed to have been God. That They know that. Because it's in the Sermon on the Mount. So I'm curious to how much the Chosen downplays the Sermon on the Mount. I'm really curious about that now. I think this is the end of season two, but I, or maybe it's sometime in the beginning of season three. But I'm I'm curious as when I get there in my review, whether they downplay Christ at the Sermon on the Mount. I understand if someone's a little uncomfortable with it because they they prefer their Jesus to be on a stained glass window, or they prefer their prayers to be more on the kind of the reverent side. 
I shouldn't have, I shouldn't have said it so dismissively. I don't mean stained glass window in a dismissive. Yeah. I'm just saying there are some people who are more comfortable with kind of a a, a Jesus who's who, who they come to with with such reverence that that there's this kind of holy um, distance. Mm-hmm. Um, and I don't mean that in a negative way. And I'm I'm I'm, I'm great with that. That's fine. Maybe the show isn't going to make you. Maybe it's going to be as comfortable. I just would take issue with the notion that that it's detracting from his deity when we're showing his suffering and his humanity. I don't think the Bible does that. I think the Bible leans into it just as much as the show does. Yeah, that's a, that's a great point. Um, one of the things we've received several questions about was Jesus practicing the Sermon on the Mount. And <laughs> I mean, my uh, to be entirely honest, my first reaction was like, huh. For some reason, I had in my brain that Jesus, as God, could just perfectly download the perfect sermon from so i want to pause and skip ahead because i don't feel the need to readdress the whole sermon on the mount sermon prep thing i don't think that's a le- that's a more benign controversy with the chosen and we've kind of already covered that in the previous video that we watched on the chosen so we're going to skip ahead to him responding to criticism non-inerrancy uh, issues. Yeah. So that leads well into my, what I wanted to ask you next. Um, as, as a ministry that answers Bible questions, and we don't shy away from answering, giving our best shot at a biblical answer to tough questions, controversial issues, we receive a lot of criticism. And I know just from us having an article on Should a Christian Watch the Chosen, us doing a podcast episode on it, just the criticism we've received for what, in my opinion, was our goal is to present a fairly neutral viewpoint and say, look, the Chosen isn't for everyone. Um, watch watch an episode or two, pray for wisdom, whether this is something that God wants you to continue and use your own discernment regarding what you what you watch. Obviously, compare with Scripture, as, as you say before the first episode. Uh, how do you respond to criticism? And, and even just on a personal level, I, I know how difficult it can be to not let it get to you, but how do you respond to criticism, but all, at the same time not ignoring it, to try to look yeah. for what are some valid points that people are making that maybe I need to take more into account? Yeah, to be to be honest, the latter happens less because, um, and here's why, by the time the show is out there, um, I have gone through a pretty rigorous process. So when people say, I hope you'll reconsider that scene, or, you know, can you change this? It's like, what, how... Yeah. How lightly do you think I took this on the front end? I mean, I, this wasn't something we we were wrestling with and then just tossed it out to the world and hoped it would go okay and we'll see what happens. So, uh, I mean, I have just in my own life, with my prayer life and my relationship with my wife and my relationship with with, with pastor friends of mine and our our biblical roundtable and um, you know I, I I go through a pretty rigorous system before I'm comfortable presenting this show to the world. Um, so the other thing that's really important about that is that uh, I wrestled for many years. And finally, God, I think, removed from me my largest struggles with narcissism and the fear of man, as the Bible says, a desire to please, the desire to be praised, a desire for affirmation. Uh, That was all taken away from me about five years ago. And it became a bit of a superpower, which is I truly don't care, um, for the most part, about the criticism or the praise. And I think that's really important, too. I can't can't make decisions based on avoiding criticism. And I don't want to be in a affected overly by the critic, the criticisms of a stranger, but I also don't want to necessarily be overly affected by the praise of a stranger. Uh, someone telling me I'm the greatest thing they've ever seen and that my show has changed their life and that uh, I'm, I'm awesome. I mean, that happens plenty and, and that doesn't impact me either. I mean, I love hearing stories of life change. I love hearing how God is doing work, but I can't believe those headlines either. Just as much as I can't get dragged down by you know, doing a YouTube search for Dallas Jenkins heretic and seeing a bunch of videos that all talk about how I'm you know, literally sending people to hell. Um, I, I answer to, to God and to a lesser extent, my wife. And so when you get to that place where you're truly 
affirmed by the Lord, or at least seeking the affirmation from the Lord as opposed to man, uh, it, it really makes this a lot easier. So when it comes to handling criticism, it doesn't bother me. It doesn't, it doesn't affect me. I, I don't love it when people lie. I mean, there's lots of headlines about me that are literally just outright false. You know, Dallas Jenkins said this. Dallas Jenkins believes this, and that kind of stuff is uh, is annoying because then I think there's well-meaning fans who sometimes get confused. Sometimes they're so I I, I gotta raise a question mark, and Yellowmouth kind of is on the same track. Um, he defeated narcissism, and that's why he starts every sentence with I. I'm just kind of confused by if you're a narcissist, doesn't that mean you don't care what other people think? You're not necessarily focused on what other people think. You're so focused on yourself um, that you don't care about what other people think. So I. So he's talking about how he doesn't care about media hype and media criticism and all that other stuff, which, um, you know, some athletes, you know, always pay attention to the bad stuff that people are saying about them. Others just stay out of it in general. Uh, others focus on only the good stuff. And and he's trying to say that I'm the guy that stays out of it in gen entirely. Uh, but I, I kind of question the whole it's kind of like a Ricky Gervais joke that he's doing here. I think it's Ricky Gervais that makes a joke about, you know, I, you know, I don't care about what people think and that's a superpower. And he, I guess that's what he's channeling. Coming to you going, Hey, should I watch this show? Um, cause I heard X and I think sometimes your answer can be, well, that's not for us to decide for you. I mean, you gotta, you, you gotta watch the show yourself. It's totally free. So, you, you know, you, you, if you don't want to give any money to it, that's fine. If you want to be safe. But I, uh, I think, I think some people, overthink or uh my role in all of this I'm, I'm i'm a filmmaker i'm trying to tell the stories of the gospels in a, in a, in a fresh way but that doesn't disrespect or or contradict or change the actual gospel accounts and uh and because of that because i'm comfortable with that i just it can't be i can't be dissuaded by or or motivated by uh, the opinions of others now on a practical level we do get pretty active in our responses so he doesn't want to contradict the the gospel accounts well then, we got ourselves a problem about that because there's a lot of contradictions, like not having the 12 disciples before you uh, go to Mary Magdalene, let alone going down to Samaria. A lot of contradictions. Just because we believe these conversations are important. Mm -hmm. So we're not defensive or upset or we need to prove people wrong and i'm not trying to change anyone's mind once they've made a youtube video uh they're, they're never going to change their mind because they've, they've gone public um but i think we do try to establish what i think ways. is a good example for how to handle especially on social media criticism and i think we try to communicate that we don't take ourselves too seriously but we do take the work seriously we try to communicate that it's healthy to not respond to a social media comment as though it is something that uh, is relevant to your heart and your relationship with God, which is supremely more important. Um, you can't base your mood. You can't base your decisions. You can't base your, your, uh, the, the, the work you're doing on the comments of others. Uh, I think, I think we want to try to set a good example for that. That's why we do sometimes respond. So again, this is very nuanced. You're, you're, this is why you guys have a whole successful and influential podcast and ministry is because, um, you ask and, and answer very, very nuanced and important questions. But I think, the, I think the root of it for me is just, I answer to God and that's who I find my favor in. And, and, uh, I, I, I want to please him, not others. And so by the time the show comes out, I, I, I just let it go. I don't, I don't, the decision has been made. I feel good about it. I feel, I feel, um, uh, I don't want to use the word approved, but I feel like uh, I went through the process that God wanted me to. And uh, the praise of the criticism just doesn't, doesn't motivate me. So man, that's, that's just a setup because 
This has aged poorly for Dallas Jenkins, who has spent a good amount of time in 2023, because this was late 2022 is when this was published. He spent a good amount of time in 2023 responding to controversy, responding to YouTube videos, um, specifically about him and the gay flag on the chosen set, which is the thumbnail for this live stream, uh, because that's my thumbnail for Dallas Jenkins. So it's my Dallas Jenkins picture. And I'm using it every time because he's okay with gay flags on his sets. I wouldn't be if I was making the chosen, if I was uh, doing that. No, that wouldn't be on my set, but he's perfectly fine with that. But, and he's had to respond to that controversy a lot, a lot. And I, I every time he does, the situation gets a little worse for him. That's that's a really hard place to get to, to be able to, to not allow criticism to affect you negatively and to not allow praise to influence you to the extent that you're seeking praise. That's a tough place to be. And I'm I'm not there. Years of doing this has um, helped me with the criticism part, but there's, um, I guess words of encouragement are my love language. So no, I, I I, I get not, not relying on those things, but, um, still being blessed and encouraged by them. So, so I've got one, one last question for you, but I know people who watch this are, why didn't you ask about this or this or this? So what we're going to do is in the, in the show notes and the description on YouTube, we're going to include some links to where Dallas answers some of the other big questions. I know you, you all are wishing I would ask him, but I yeah, didn't want to sure, sure, answer the Mormon question, the Mormon yeah, question. Exactly. <laughs> the same question you've already answered a hundred times, but I'll include links to where he responds to those, but maybe in closing. And he's answered it differently a lot of those times. So of course he keeps getting asked it again and again and again, because his answers are different. So. Who would you say the chosen is for and who is the chosen not for? Well, I, I hope this doesn't sound like a cop-out answer, but it, it goes back to what I what I said uh, just a minute ago, which is I don't, when I'm writing it particularly, I don't think about who it's for um, mm-hmm. audience-wise, because for me, it's for, it's, it's for the Lord. Um, and so I, I, people will say, are you, you know, are you writing this so you can appeal to non-Christians? Or I think that scene doesn't appeal to Christians. It might appeal to non-Christians, or it might appeal more to Christians. Might, Non-Christians might feel excluded. So I'm like, look, I don't think about any of that. I'm trying to be as authentic as possible to the stories and to what's plausible. And uh, and, and so I would say that um, what we've heard from people is that it's for everybody, really. I mean, we've heard from atheists. We've heard from Hindus. We've heard from people who've said, I don't believe that Jesus is the son of God, um, but I like the show as a show. Um, and you know, I, I'm, and also it's making me curious. It's making me want to read the scriptures. So I believe that anyone who is interested in um, learning more about or uh, seeing portrayed in an artistically compelling way the most influential man in the history of the world uh, I think the show is is going to be compelling to you, uh, and that's what we've seen. Um, who it's not for, I mean, that's between the, the viewer and God. And, and if you are uncomfortable, if you feel like in your relationship with God, you are prone towards idolatry, meaning you're prone towards being distracted by things other than Scripture. Um, I, I do believe Scripture is sufficient. I do believe that that God's Word is all we need for sound instruction and for discipleship and for a relationship um, with Him. So if if you're in a place in your spiritual walk where you really need that to be the only thing because anything else, maybe you're prone to addiction to entertainment. Maybe you're just so easily distracted from God's word that you just need to, you just need to land in that for a period of time. Then by all means land in that. I mean, that's, 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 that's vital. Um, but I just, I've never met anyone who doesn't benefit at some point from additional context. It's just so difficult to just open God's word. Uh, you, you just pick any page and just completely get it right away. Now there are people who've done that and who've 
had major supernaturally uh, God, I'm using the wrong, wrong word, but like kind of a supernatural experience with, with God the Father where their salvation just becomes so clear and evident because of God just opening their eyes and removing the veil. That happens, of course, all the time. But for the most part, most of Scripture requires some context. <laughs> and uh, and I do think that Bible studies and sermons and, yes, the chosen can be a good supplement uh, and a good um, contextualizer and a good kind of ba battery recharge towards a, a passion for for Jesus. Mm -hmm. um, but so actually, maybe but not everyone needs that and not everyone can can do that healthy. Um, and so if that's the case for you, I wouldn't know it because I don't, I can't speak, speak to that, but I would always check your spirit. Uh, and, uh, and I'm a flawed, sinful human being. Um, I'm capable of mistakes. The show is not perfect. And, uh, there in 56 hours of television. There will be times when, when I get some, when I'd say something or do something that, that, that isn't accurate, quote unquote, that Jesus will tell me in heaven, ah, oh, you got that part wrong. This part was pretty good. Um, th that's for sure true. And if, and if that's going to distract you, um, from what you're experiencing right now with God's word, then I would encourage you to stay in God's word because that's not flawed. So I'm not sure which one I'm going to say fake news on what he just said, because the chosen is clearly written for a seeker sensitive audience. This is a seeker sensitive show. It is a seeker sensitive Jesus that he's portraying in the show. The same type of Jesus that's portrayed in the he gets us campaign, as I've already kind of alluded to. So this is someone who's written. Now, is it possible that Dallas Jenkins is that superficial? I suppose. But is this intentionally written for mass appeal? I think the answer is yes. It is intentionally written for mass appeal uh, with what he knows is a pretty diverse audience. That's why he's not going to stake too many theological claims on the life of Jesus because he wants to maintain the Catholic audience. He wants to maintain the Protestant audience. He wants to maintain the Mormon audience. So he knows these things. I think the show is written to appeal to all three groups that the, the meta groups, you know, the big picture groups, he's written a show to try to appeal to all these groups. And it's, I wouldn't call it a historically accurate show. I don't think it's again, is Thomas going to be is okay. Thomas has a girlfriend who wears the pants in the relationship. Is that historically accurate to the time? Absolutely not. Now, would Thomas's girlfriend's dad let Thomas's girlfriend go off gallivanting with her unwedded boyfriend? Absolutely not. That's not going to happen in the, in the first century Judea. They're not. You know, no self-respecting father would let um, his daughter, who clearly wears the pants in their relationship, go off gallivanting with her boyfriend. That's not going to happen. So. This is a show for mass appeal and modern sensibilities. We hear that word or that term modern audiences often in the negative on YouTube, but nonetheless, that's who this is written for. It's written for modern audiences. I don't think it's going to be very relatable a hundred years from now. Uh, and it certainly wouldn't have been relatable a hundred years ago. So it's written for modern audiences and it's written in a seeker sensitive lane. Now it's possible that the seeker sensitive part is because Dallas Jenkins is goes to mega church Christianity and that's what he ingests and that's what he knows. So that's what he writes because the writer writes what they know. So that's what he knows. That's what he writes. And that's the result of the chosen. And 
that would explain a lot, but I do think it's a little bit more intentional because he put pen to paper at the end of the day, he knows what it's, he could have done more research, more study. He intended it for it to be a seeker sensitive Jesus at the end of the day. So uh, I might have a little bit more left. Yeah, absolutely. And that's to me a great way to conclude this in that I, I know, I mean, I, I don't know you personally, but I know from watching your interviews, I know you do not view the chosen as a replacement for scripture or adding to scripture in any sense. I've heard you say that countless times. And that's one of the things that drives me the most crazy is like, he's adding to scripture. It's like, how many times does the man have to say he's not adding to scripture before you believe him? And I'm quoting the, the Revelation 22 verse, it's um, adding or taking away from scripture. That's not what is going on. But it's here for me that like I'm not here to endorse or um, turn people away from the chosen. There's been episodes or parts of episodes that I have absolutely loved. And there's another parts I've been like, mm, I don't think I would have done it that way or I don't think I would have had it said that way. But um, overall, I, what I've enjoyed is helping me to think through both the humanity of Jesus, as we discussed, in some unique ways I've never really thought about before, but also just to picture some of these scenes as like, huh, what was going on behind the scenes or even in the scene itself played a big role in how the events would have transpired. And right. for that, I am grateful and I plan on continuing to watch. And um, I, I have friends who absolutely love The Chosen. I have friends who um, don't like it at all. And I'm still very good friends with, with both of them. So yeah. my encouragement to you, and I think Dallas would say the same thing, is um, pray for wisdom, pray for discernment. If The Chosen is leading you into, into a hypercritical attitude, then um, there's something better you could be doing with your time. But if in any way you were encouraged by watching it, continue to do so. But in all things, go back to scripture. If there's anything in the chosen that bothers you, thinks unbiblical, well, obviously accept yeah. the Bible over what's being portrayed in the chosen. So um, again, as I said earlier, um, we'll include some links where you can learn more and I'll, links to where Dallas answers some of the questions I know you're wishing I'd ask. But Alrighty, I'm going to cut them off there. So with that said, I do want to like, Let's get that off screen. So I, I do want to say I went into the chosen with an open mind, like the last Jedi. Let's use a, a an example here. I did not. I knew the controversy surrounding the last Jedi. I was completely like, okay, which side of this controversy? And I, am I going to be dogmatically uh, on the side of which side am I taking up arms for with this controversy regarding the last Jedi? And then I watched The Last Jedi. I'm like, this is an awful movie. This is a zero out of 10 writing on this movie. You take out, a, most of this movie could be cut out and you would have the exact same plot, exact same outcome. So much of the movie's filler. Um, I don't care about the colors. Rose Tico sucks. Finn sucks. Uh, Poe just keeps getting nut punched in the movie because Admiral Holdo sucks and Leia's incompetent in the movie and stuff like that. And this, you know, so I watched the last Jedi and I couldn't believe that it was even a controversy, how bad it was. And that is somewhat how I feel about the chosen. Like I, like, how is this a controversy? The show's bad. It's not even good. Uh, it's not even average. And I have a friend who watched the, who's a fan of the chosen. In fact, uh, she told me that I would that I would like episode three. And I think episode three of season one is perhaps the only episode that chosen I thought was decent. And it was completely non-scriptural, but it was 
perhaps the most decent of the, you know, it's the creative license that was actually compelling. So, but she stopped watching The Chosen. She disavowed The Chosen for the gay stuff. So, because at the end of the day, The Chosen will say, we're not a ministry, but they created a nonprofit 501c3 to cover the most expensive aspects of The Chosen, which is the marketing and production. So they have a nonprofit cover their expenses, and then they take in all the revenue. It's a pretty good deal, right? So there's a lot of money involved with The Chosen. And I don't begrudge people trying to make money off of something. And I don't, and I actually respect the tactic of using a non taking advantage of nonprofit laws uh, as well. I actually kind of respect that, that grind, uh, that hustle. So I don't begrudge that either. But at the end of the day, he's not an honest person when it comes to, we're not a ministry. Then why are you putting out sermon material on the chosen? That's the common C foundation, which isn't technically owned by Dallas Jenkins, but you got to believe that they're in lockstep, that they're in cahoots, because this isn't like a political campaign in a super PAC. It's not that type of regulation. They're taking advantage of nonprofit laws. They're not taking, they're not skirting around campaign finance laws. So he's not honest about these things. So he's not honest about not being a ministry. Uh, he is honest about not being a Bible show, and you better believe that. And he's not honest about, and I don't know how honest he is about the whole supplementing scripture thing, because again, why are you putting out sermon materials on the chosen if you're not, uh, if, if you're not trying to replace scripture or be what people think of when they see scripture and read scripture? I do think that's kind of his goal. So that was our dive into the defense of uh the chosen by got questions uh, a couple of uh comments that i'm going to round up uh innovation hq says got questions is pretty cringe claiming dispensationalism is biblical i'm going to expect disease be off in a lot of areas but so them defending the chosen is not very surprising that's a pretty interesting connection you're drawing i'm not sure i necessarily agree with it because uh, i'm not sure if that's the connection because they're not charismatic at got questions i'm pretty sure they're cessationist i, I want to say uh pastor michael grant says uh in the chat the chosen is clearly problematic i wrote to got questions top brass and complained um and you know he says that it's very disappointing that they kind of came out and defended this and yeah this is to me like obviously you got to know hey they're dispensational in their theology so that's going to affect their answers in some areas okay you you at least know that, but I don't think defending the chosen and using such bad arguments about creative license is it dog like that there's okay. They have a theological reason why that explains their positions versus um, now they're embracing the chosen. Again, you can be Roman Catholic and embrace the chosen or Mormon and embrace the chosen. So I don't think dispensationalism is the connection Uh to kind of catch up on that comment. So that, you know, so that's one chink and got questions. Cause I think they're overall a good ministry. They're one of the better ones, but they do have some flaws and I'm going to call them out for the ch defending the chosen 
because I honestly think at the end of the day, they're defending the chosen because it's popular. That's what I get out of this. Uh, that's why there wasn't really a debate on the first video because they're, they're taking a position because it's popular. And I, I'm, I'm sure more channels, bigger channels, even than I have, um, have talked about the chosen and been critical of the chosen. Uh, but I honestly want to say I went in with an open mind. It was thoroughly disappointing. I'm going to keep my episodic review series up, though, because I think there's uh, interesting things to warn people about in each particular episode, I think. And we'll see. Maybe an episode will be good. And I'll let people know if it's good or not, because I'm at least going to be an honest breaker because I'm very fascinated with film and television storytelling. So these are some fun facts about me. But anyway, thank you all for coming out here tonight. I want to let you know you can support Evangelical Dark Web at evangelicaldarkweb.org slash join. Uh, next week, we're going to be discussing the debate and the presidential primary election. That'll be on the 9th. So definitely uh, tune in and subscribe for that. Have a blessed day. We will catch you on the next one.